We come to the conclusion of 31 weeks of studying together God's Word in the story. Um, boy, just seemed like we started yesterday. Did it? No, well, some ways yes, some ways no. Uh, we've been through a lot of things in the story. This is the last week. We uh, Today I have the great pleasure of uh, uh, wrapping everything together from 31 weeks and teaching the whole book of Revelation and all, all in 30 minutes. Okay. Promise it'll be close to that. I'm not really sure how that's going to work, but anyway, we'll see. I'll uh, just give you a heads up on what's coming next in Life of Great Oaks. Uh, we're going to do a very short series next, okay? For the next three weeks after this week, we'll do a series on marriage. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about the, the one thing that probably causes more problems in marriage than anything else, and, and this is after years and years of experience, but also what the Bible says clearly about the whole thing of marriage. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. got to come and find out yourself later on. And, uh, and then... Uh, but also, it's the Bible gives us ways of dealing with it as well. Not just a problem, but talks about how to, how to fix the problem as well. And then following that, we're going to have a couple of weeks where Dan, our, our children's pastor, is going to speak. And Chris, our, our, uh, our student ministry pastor, is going to speak. And then in June, uh, there's five Sundays. Four, four of the Sundays in June, I'm going to do a series uh, that uh, several people have asked me some questions over the last few years about the whole thing of death and dying. So I'm doing a series called, You're Dead, Now What? And uh, so, uh, so that's going to be the title of the series. So uh, we're going to look at, you know, what the Bible says, uh, the reality of how we prepare and, and how uh, living with the end in mind makes a difference in our life. So that just gives you a head up, heads up about what's going on. I know what's going to go on the rest of the year, but uh, I'm not going to tell you about that right now. Okay. Uh, this morning, uh, we, we come to the final chapter of the story. We began in September with the book of uh, Genesis. Um, and uh, we conclude here in April with the book of Revelation. Uh, so uh, we've been through a lot of things. We started with the dawn of time and we come today to the end of time. Uh, at the beginning of God uh, time, God created uh, human beings in his own image. And it says that he wanted to create them so that we could be with him. But uh, as we saw in the story, uh, as we've gone through scripture, we see that sin fractured our relationship with God. And the whole story has been about God bringing us back to himself and, and proving to us we can't do it on our own. And he did it through Jesus Christ, brings us back to him. And then uh, at the end of time, in Revelation, it says this, that God's dwelling place will be among his people and he will be with them. Now, the interesting thing about Revelation, and we're not going to try to cover, of course, everything today. I'm just going to give you kind of a high view of, of Revelation but Revelation, in a sense, is trying to describe the indescribable. It really is. It, we do not have a frame of reference for what it's going to be like past this time here on earth. Because all we know is what we see. But uh, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, this about heaven. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It says it's going to be more and bigger and, and more incredible than anything that we can possibly understand. And as we look at the book of Revelation today, as we talk about the end of time, in a real sense, I want to give you kind of a little background about the, the author of the book of Revelation and the book itself. The author of the book of Revelation is the Apostle John. John wrote also the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he wrote a large portion, uh, probably the second most of anybody in the, in the New Testament except for the Apostle Paul. And uh, John was the only one of the of the twelve original disciples that we don't think was that was executed. Uh, he was exiled, though. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which is uh, um, uh, an island off the coast of, of Italy, and he, and he was exiled there there for fearlessly holding on to the kingdom of God. 
And while he's there, uh, they think that they've sent him there. The, the Roman authorities think they've sent him there to shut him up. But God uses that time there on the Isle of Patmos to give him a revelation. And that's where the book of Revelation came, came from. A revelation about the future. And so what we see in the book of Revelation is a couple of things. One, what we see is it's a glimpse of the current battle that's going on uh, behind the scenes, behind the scenes of the physical world, the spiritual world, the, uh, the, the battle between Satan and God. And also Revelation is a poetic description of Satan's attack, but that is not all there is. Revelation is also a promise that in spite of all the persecution and all the ridicule and all the, the problems that are faced by the first century Christians and countless believers since then, Revelation is the bottom line of Revelation is this. God wins. In the end, God wins. And he doesn't win in a small way, by the way. He wins in a big way. Um, and he will win in a convincing and decisive fashion. And uh, But as we read Revelation, Revelation can be a little intimidating because it's not normal literature. The Bible is written in all kind of literature forms. Uh, some of it's just uh, like, uh, you know, telling a story. Some of it's poetic and like like Psalms. Uh, there's other forms, but it's kind of what we call apocalyptic literature, and meaning that it has a lot of symbolism and a lot of different things in there, and it's a lot of things that's not always meant to be taken literally. And so sometimes when we read uh, the book of Revelation, we may have problems interpreting the book of Revelation. And, and up on top of that, the problem is also is that over the years, people have debated about exactly how to interpret Revelation because um, none of you could probably care about this, but I'll just tell you what, it, what we people debate about in seminary. Um, everybody has millennial views. In the book of Revelation, you have a thousand-year period, and, and there's three primary millennial views, meaning about how it's going to happen, what's going to happen first, second, third. And I'll just be honest with you, I've heard all three views, and they've all had good biblical background, and they've debated them well, and people of all stripes and all you know evangelicals and people hold all the different views. But the, pra- the problem is, is that uh, godly men and women of faith are convinced that their view is right, and I, I just kind of hold that my millennial view is, is called the pan-millennial view, that it's all going to pan out in the end. God knows what he's doing. And uh, so, you know, I, none of you are going like, millennial views? What's millennial views? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay? Um, what makes it difficult when we look at Revelation is that we only get a glimpse of the end times. We get it in bits and pieces. Uh, we don't have the whole picture. And so there's this... There's, there's, mystery about revelation and i believe that is by design i believe god wants us to anticipate what's going to happen he wants us to live our lives with anticipation and with the end in mind we're going to talk about that in our series on your dead now what a lot more fully in a few weeks but just want to say that regardless of what you view and how you view uh, the end times i agree with what one writer said his name was aaron brockett says he says this when the apocalyptic dust settles Make certain you're standing with Jesus. That's the only thing that matters, that you're on his side. And so, um, there's one thing the Bible says for certain, and this is always amazing to me, how many people, you know, constantly you hear people that are saying the end's going to happen this day or that day or whatever. I I can pretty much tell you that if they say it's going to happen that day, it's not going to happen that day. Because the Bible tells us that no one knows the hour or the day. No one. And so uh, we don't know when it's going to end. And so the main point of the book of Revelation is this, and this, we're going to talk about this today. The main point of the discussions is this. We need to be ready. Uh, we need to live our life at ready. 
for the end. We must live this life as if Jesus is going to come at any moment. At the very beginning of the book of Revelation, though, we see that it's a book of hope as well, because in Revelation 1 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads about the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Um, it says, Blessed are those. The book of Revelation is the book of hope. And uh, John, basically, as he gives this and writes in the book of Revelation, is a peek into the future, into heaven. It's not the whole picture, though. But when he peeks into heaven, I love what it says. And this is a passage of scripture I've used at numerous funeral messages. And you probably may have heard this as well. But in Revelation 21, 1 through 3 and verse 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. Remember at the very beginning when God, uh, just stop saying, the very beginning when God created us, he said, I want to be among you and walk among you. I want to have a relationship with you. But we broke it through sin. God's restoring in heaven that it will live it out fully. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for, I, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Now, overwhelming job today to try to talk to you about Revelation, but I just want to break it down into three takeaways that I see from Revelation is important for us in light of the whole story that we've talked about over the last 31 weeks. And these, the first takeaway is this. Everyone will someday stand before God. That's takeaway number one. Every, everyone someday will stand before God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27... It says this, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We will all stand, the Bible says clearly to us, we will all stand before the Lord. For the unbeliever, it will be a a long, draining and depressing reminder of a life filled with poor choices. For the Christian, it could be a reminder of poor choices because just because we're a believer doesn't mean we don't make poor choices. But the good news about the end is that Christ will plead our case on our behalf. He stands for us. That's what happens when we accept him as Lord and Savior. So we all stand before, we, everyone will stand before God sometime in the future. But when John got a glimpse of heaven in Revelation 4, he saw, that, uh, saw kind of a throne room. He saw this idea in John, Revelation 4, 1 and 2. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. He saw this place of judgment there and he recognized what it was and who was there. And as he sees this vivid imagery of what's happening in heaven, that's someday where we will stand. Uh, everyone, the Bible says, everyone will come before God in judgment. Everyone's eyes are drawn to him. God is there and he has a place for you there uh, if you've accepted his son, Jesus Christ. The interesting thing about Revelation is that John, as eloquent as he is, and he's very eloquent in his speech, John seems to be a loss at times for words. He tries to, once again, he uh, tries to describe things within the limitations of human speech. Uh, But he does his best to describe the indescribable. He talks about streets of gold. He talks about uh, gates of pearl. He talks about the wise, the walls comprised of of precious stones, a crystal river. Uh, And he sees all these things, it says, from a distance. But even from a distance, and as he sees these things, he describes it so that you and I long for going there. Is it literally going to be streets of gold? 
Well, not necessarily. I don't know how practical that is, but of course I'm a practical person. I don't think that way, but it's a way to describe the immensity and the beauty of what's there. And, and so that's what happens there. Now, if, if what will be in heaven excites you, uh, what won't be in heaven is just about as important and is exciting and encouraging for people as well. The Bible tells us there will be no more crying or pain in heaven. There will be no more arguments or anger. There will be no more depression or anxiety. There will be no more tumors or treatments. There will be no more blind eyes or deaf ears, no more Alzheimer's or AIDS. There will be no more pink slips, no more tear-stained divorce papers, no more flag-draped caskets. There will be no more tears, no more tragedy in that place. And so we see a beautiful place, but also a place that has a lot of things that are absent that we are glad are going to be absent from that place. And so when we see that place and we finally get there, the Bible tells us that life's trials will seem so small, no matter where our trials have been through, and we will enter into a new dimension of living with God in a perfect place and we will where everything is right. Now... I just want to say this. There's a lot of things in this world that are clamoring for our allegiance and our attention, are they not? But don't miss heaven for the world. That's the first thing. All of us someday will stand before God. That's the first takeaway. Takeaway number two. God will keep his word. God will keep his word. All throughout the story. Have we not seen this? Not just in Revelation, but throughout the whole story, if we've read God's word, that God, every promise he makes comes true. Every promise. We've seen that God wants to bring his people to himself. And he, he came about and he, and he showed us how we could not do that on our own. And so what he did is he shows that, that he redeems us through, through his son, Jesus Christ. And that message that God is, keeps his word has never changed. The book of Revelation is where we see the, and we've been talking about this, where we see the upper story intersect with the lower story. Our story, our day-to-day lives. And his purpose has never changed, and his promise will not be broken. In Philippians 3, we read these words, our, our citizenship, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everyone, uh, everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, I don't know about you, but instant transformation is rather appealing. And you think, you know, but you ever thought about, I mean, I, when people talk about heaven, one of the things they're going like, what kind of body am I going to have? Is it going to be like, you know, your prime when you're 20 or really in your prime like me, 58, you know, you know, I, I don't feel that way right now. I helped move my son uh, and, his, and his wife's furniture all day yesterday. I thought about getting one of the guys in our church as a chiropractor to do me, a, you know, we might still do that, Brett. I don't know. Uh, so... Uh, the thing is, is that, you know, what is it going to be like, you know, but you know, this whole idea of instant transformation that everything's going to be new and it will have his glorious body. It's kind of appealing. It's kind of reminding me of a story I heard a number of years ago about a story of a farmer. Um, the farmer lived far out in the country. I mean, he lived so far away. He never had gotten to the city for years and years and years and years and years. I mean, he just lived way out. I don't know how far out that is. It's way out though. And, uh, one day, he decided to venture into the big city for the first time. And he brought his wife and his son, who was, uh, uh, who was you know, a few years, I mean, he was like 12, 14 years old, something like that. And so the farmer comes and he pulls up into the heart of the city and he, 
And he'd never seen anything like this. Skyscrapers, huge, monstrous buildings, lights, and just, just, you know, if you live out in the country, way out in the country, I mean, you've never seen anything like this. And so he pulls up in front of a, of a big building and miraculously gets a parking space, you know, because uh, he'd never been to the city. He didn't know it was a miracle. It just, just happened that way. And, and so he, he looks at his son. He says, son, come with me. He said, we're going inside and we're going to get us a big city newspaper. And so they walk inside this lobby, this opulent, uh, this building. It was a huge lobby with just, you know, just stuff everywhere. It's several stories high in the lobby. And, and one of the things that caught their attention were these two shiny doors over on the wall. And these two shiny doors, as they were watching these two shiny doors, they slid. There was this elderly lady that walked up to it with a cane. And she walks up to these two shiny doors. They slide apart. And she walks inside this little room beside the, behind these two shiny doors and they, and they close. And then all these lights start flick, flickering across the top and they have numbers on them. And they can't never seen anything like this. They're just amazed at these shiny doors. About 30 seconds after the elderly lady had gone through the two shiny doors, they slid back open and this beautiful mid-twenties brunette came sauntering out of the two shiny doors. And the farmer looked at his son and he says, son... Go get your mama. I like that story, don't you? I go and instant transformation is very, very appealing in our life. And one of the things that the Bible tells us that we will be, it says, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. I love what Dave Stone says. Uh, Dave Stone is a pastor, uh, one of the lead pastors at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. And, and, uh, I listen to other pastors a lot, uh, across the world. You know, on the internet now, you can, I listen to great pastors. They become my pastor, kind of. I listen to him for encouragement. And, and, uh, he tells a story of when he was six years old, his teenage uncle, he had an uncle who was a teenager, and this uncle had been born with cerebral palsy. And he was going through some tests and he had never walked and he was trying to, figure out some stuff and the doctors had finally determined that his uncle would never walk and he says dave says i don't remember this conversation when i was six years old with my mom and she later on wrote down about that day and she said this is what happened she said uh, that day she had received the news from her from her sister about about uh, uh about the about uncle greg and she said this is what she wrote dave came into the room when i was reading the letter from my mom and crying and seeing my tears, she, he said, what's wrong, Mommy? And, he, and I said, I just got a letter from your grandmother. And it said the doctors have determined that your Uncle Greg will never be able to walk. And six-year-old Dave looked up at her and he says, never? Never, I responded. And then Dave says, not even in heaven? And she paused and she thought, she said, oh, yes, I smiled. Uncle Greg will be able to walk in heaven. And then Dave looked up at her and said, and then we will wait. Dave's mom wrote, I was thankful on that day for a six-year-old to help me to regain my equilibrium. He says, so we waited about 40 years. And then that waiting period ended and his walking began. The Bible tells us that everything is new in heaven. Everything. I love this verse, uh, the, uh, Revelation 21, 4. I left out this verse intentionally earlier. This is part of what I usually read at funerals. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things are gone forever. 
And, and you know, when I read this, and sometimes I've just glossed over this, and I'm thinking, you know, you know what it says? Who does it say will wipe away the tears from their eyes? He. This is not something that God is going to delegate to anybody else. It says he, Jesus Christ, his son, is going to be the one who wipes with his nail-scarred hand, is going to wipe the tears from our eyes. Personally. Every one of us. He didn't put it on the angelic to-do list. Jesus will raise his, his hands and do that. He will wipe away every tear. God, See, God has kept every promise he makes in his word, and there is just one left that he says at the end. He says, I will return. I will return. And he keeps this promise as well, because, and it says that everyone will stand, stand before God. So the last takeaway is this. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. Above everything else, you need to be ready. Throughout the Gospels, the Bible makes it incredibly clear. And I want to tell you, Jesus makes it incredibly clear himself that there are only two eternal destinations, heaven and hell. Just those two. There are no other options. In Re- Revelation 21, 7 and 8, it kind of gives a, an overview of it. It says, those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Who's it talking about? It's those who have accepted Jesus Christ. Those who are victorious are not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us and we've accepted him. So those are the ones he's talking about here. They says, in heaven, they will be, I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the messages, the main messages of Revelation, and really the message that Jesus Christ was teaching all the time is that we need to live at ready. I will never forget, and I've had this a similar conversation numerous times, but years ago when I was in seminary, and I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina back then, going to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in the town of Wake Forest there. And as I was going through school there, the thing that I, that I encountered, um, the, I worked a job there. You, you do whatever you do just to make money, right? When you're in college and grad school or whatever you might be. And so I was working this job, and, and I was working this job uh, taking uh, groundskeeping with, at a private school there. And there was this one guy that was there working with me, and he was kind of like, he was much older than me. He was, you know, I was only in my mid-20s at the time, and he was like 35, man. He was like ancient at, at the time. I don't know. It's a matter of perspective, right? Um, but uh, I'm thinking, this guy was really sharp. He was brilliant. He had a doctorate. And he was working as a groundskeeper at a private school. And I'm trying to figure out, what's he doing? So I started talking to him. And I had a discussion with him about, uh, about God. And he told me clearly he was an atheist. And uh, he said, uh, and so we talked about this. And I tried to talk to him in a gentle manner. It said, the Bible says, speak the truth, but do it in love. And so as we had that conversation, I finally came to the end of the conversation and, and, and I gently said to him, in the end, if I am wrong and you are right, I have lost nothing. But if you are wrong and I am right, that there is a God, there is a God who, when we have a choice about destinations, then you have lost everything. And then he looked at me, and this is what I'll never forget, he looked at me and said this, I'm willing to take a chance on that. And I'm going. You know, I'm dumbfounded by somebody who's willing to roll the dice on eternity. 
And I've had that conversation other times over the years in very similar formats. God clearly says to us that we only have two choices. Trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, and inherit eternal life with Him in heaven. Or push Him away. It's our choice. He doesn't make us make the choice and spend eternity separated from Him. We need to be careful that we have an attitude that on the day of judgment, we're going to be ready. The Bible says that God, that God wills that everyone should come to repentance, and so uh, should we desire that as well. You know, sometimes I've seen Christians going around when you know people don't follow them. It's almost like I have a I told you so attitude. Well, look at what they did. They got what they deserved. No one, we shouldn't be that way as Christians. We should, every person we know, even if they push us away, we should love them like Christ loved them. Like Christ loves them right now. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ, it would be the height of selfishness if we didn't try to bring someone to heaven with us. We talk a lot about the second coming of Christ, but you know that one-fourth of the world doesn't even know about the first coming of Christ? And it's not just people in third world countries. There are people that may live down the block from you, that work in your office, that have never heard a clear presentation of what the gospel is really all about. I want to close with a story that I heard from another one of my favorite pastors that I listen to on a regular basis, Max Licato. And Max Licato, you may have read, read some of his books, incredible author, great storyteller. I think he's second in storytelling only to Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I place him pretty high on the list in my, in my uh, but I've heard him speak before, incredible storyteller. But he tells us this true story about him growing up, and he says this. Uh, uh, he says, um, he says this, Joe Albright had a reputation in Anders County where I grew up, talking, uh, Max talking about himself, where I was raised. He was a tough, fair, and fearless rancher. He had a huge acreage on the east side of town, and everyone knew that if you wanted to go hunt rabbits, you didn't go on his property. But his son James was my best friend in high school. James and I sat on the bench together in football. And I remember once after an all-out-of-town game, he invited me to spend the night with him. And because the game was out of town, we didn't reach the ranch house until late, well after midnight. And his father, Mr. Albright, did not know me. And when I drove up the dirt road to his ranch house, out came Joe Albright onto the porch. If I remember correctly, he was in his underwear. And he had a huge flashlight and was not recognizing me and not knowing my vehicle. I stepped out of the car, not thinking, and he put his flashlight right in my face. Who are you? And man, I just about, I shook for a second and didn't have a reply. And finally, James, his son, who had been not paying attention, stepped out from around the other side of the car and said, Oh, hey, it's okay, Dad. It's Max. He's with me. And when Joe heard the voice of his son, James, he put the flashlight down and said, Oh, come in, come in. Now, why could I go in? Because I was with the son of the father. And the reason that you need to be, will not need to fear judgment if you're a believer is because, not because of your good deeds, but because you know the son of the father. And when our heavenly father sees us and sees you in the company of his son, he will lower the floodlight of judgment and he will say to us, come in. John 14.3 uh, 14, says this, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. God keeps his promises to us. The question today for all of us is, are you ready? Are you ready?
That's the whole, that's, that's the only question in life that matters. Are you ready? And the only way you can be ready, as we've examined it and looked at scripture over the last 31 weeks, clearly, and even before that, the only way you can be ready is you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This morning, we're going to sing a song and close, but each Sunday morning, one of the things that we do is we have folks over in the prayer room through those doors. In here is not really with music going on and people gathering. We thought about, you know, having altar calls and stuff, but it's really hard. I can't really talk to you down here. But if you'd like to talk to somebody, and if, and if you don't think you're ready, you're not sure, then you need to go talk to someone about that. And so go feel free as soon as we start singing or after the song or whatever to come over to the prayer room and, and talk with one of the people that's over there who will be there to encourage you about taking the step and understanding what it takes to be ready. If you're not sure about what it means to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a time where you can do that. You can step across the line. You can, you can know that you're ready. And it's all because of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.